0: from the Anguttara Nikaya, the words of the Buddha. One thing, O monks and nuns, if developed and frequently practiced, leads to a deep stirring of the mind, to great benefit, to great security from toil, to mindfulness and clear comprehension to the attainment of vision and knowledge, to a happy abiding in this very life, to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and deliverance. What is this one thing? It is the mindful contemplation of the body. So I would like to speak tonight, reflect with you on this mindful contemplation of the body that we've been practicing here. And again, I would like to encourage you to practice a mindful contemplation of the body as you're listening and looking here. So again, my guideline is 70-30 or 80-20. Put about 70 or 80% of your attention in the inner sense of body, and then let the awareness continue to open outwards as you're looking and listening. And it's especially helpful to do this. Um, well, you can do it either way with your eyes open or closed, but if your eyes are open, it's really a great practice to do of this inner sense of body and the perceptions of the body, both. So the awareness is um, centered in the body and opens outward from there. So this, these words of the Buddha, he begins, he says, that this practice, mindfulness of the body, leads to a deep stirring of the mind. In the commentaries, they talk about this as a strong sense of urgency in practice. An urgency including the sense of dedication in practice, of passion in practice, excitement, inspiration, a sense of steadfastness, a sense of urgency, uh, having a sense of fire or flame or ongoing motivation in practice by being mindful of this body that sits here. Security from toil, this great, freedom from burden that through this practice of mindfulness of the body we will realize the relief that comes as the burden of attachment begins to wither begins to fall away that the burden of our preferences as they begin to become more transparent we find this great relief right here in this body right now I was curious what the word deliverance meant when I read this that it would lead to realization of the fruit of knowledge which is insight and deliverance what is deliverance I looked it up, because you're getting to know me now. Um, um, In the Latin, deliverance means thoroughly free. And in the modern definition, it meant to set free or liberate. That just this practice, mindfulness of the body, can set us thoroughly free or liberated. You know, I looked up the word contemplation also. It's an interesting word, especially the origin. In the Latin, it meant intensive space for observing auguries. Auguries are like signs, visions, understandings, epiphanies. So to contemplate itself is to create an intensive space for observing the mystery of life. And this intensive space is sitting here. Our bodies. And I was also reflecting, thinking about this talk, about why I find this so important to talk about the body. And if you've sat on retreats with me recently, you've probably heard this talk. Because I I think it's very important I give this talk at almost every retreat I can. And I noticed uh, in the Spirit Rock calendar last month, we had two residential retreats, um, or three residential retreats, that had as one of the themes mindfulness of the body, and two day-longs that had as the themes mindfulness of the body. So something's kind of up here these days about this mindfulness of the body. I think we're starting to get it that this is quite important. And clearly, as you read the Buddhist teachings, the, the words of the Buddha, and especially the words, the teaching on mindfulness, mindfulness of the body is central to his teaching. In fact, the first 14 contemplations are all contemplations on the body in the great sutta, the great teaching on mindfulness. So reflecting on the centrality that the Buddha places uh, the body in this practice. And also over the years now more and more seeing how important it is for my own practice. How much of my practice is becoming even more and more centered, resting in the body, the breath, the body, the sensations. And the immediacy of experience that is known through the body. Coming out of the world of ideas, of the future, of the past, into the here and now, into the, the word that is often used, one of the words is thusness, or isness, or hereness, or nowness. This great immediacy, which opens us up beyond our mind, beyond our ideas. Coming out of the world of our minds allows us to come a little bit out of the world of concepts and into the more non-conceptual world that's available to us immediately, right here, right now, with this body. And so I find the body a source of infinite awakening and understanding. And another piece for myself personally about why I like to teach this and think it's quite important is because more and more as I practice, and this may be a little heretical, uh, I don't think of There's some simple, there's some profound awakening, and that's it. I think there's awakening, and then there's the embodiment of awakening, which is really our task. Not only to awaken, but to live that awakening here, now, through these bodies, in this world, in wherever we find ourselves. And that's quite a challenging task it's quite an exciting possibility so living the teachings through this form not in spite of it or around it but directly in the middle of this human form that we find ourselves um, involved with (laughs) (laughs) have to be very tricky there (laughs) and in this way allowing our lives to become an expression of the Dharma itself, an expression of the truth. Suzuki Roshi said, human beings are a temporal expression of the truth. I love that line. Human beings are a temporal expression of the truth. So I'd like to speak about a few different aspects of practicing this mindfulness of the body. And I'd like to begin to talk first just about the awareness factor. What it is to be mindful of the body. What does that mean? And in the great teaching on mindfulness, the Buddha says, first of all, he says, contemplate the body in the body. He doesn't say contemplate the body in the mind. He says contemplate the body in the body. And how do we do that? The first teaching is mindfulness of breathing, which we've been doing for over a week now. That mindfulness of breath is the first contemplation of body, It's what enlivens this body. As long as we're alive here on this earth, there'll be a breath, an in-breath and then an out-breath. It's the first thing that acknowledges that we're alive when we're born. The baby takes a breath. Everybody's happy. Hmm. The Buddha goes on to then point us to the body posture which you can sense now in its informal or formal posture that we're all in the seated posture and you can just feel it gently easily you don't have to make any great effort it's already here just as if, as the breath is already here the Buddha then points us to full awareness in movement and each activity He puts it this way. He says, Eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, acting in full awareness when defecating and urinating, when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking and keeping silent. Kind of covers it. (laughs) Is there anything outside of all of that? Whatever there is, include it and we've been we're practicing that now actually we're really getting into it a bit here not just when we're sitting on the cushion not just when we're formally walking but all the in between the Buddha would of course include brushing your teeth washing your face whatever it is that's happening can you be mindful can you sense the body Can you sense the movement that's happening, the vibration, the sensations? The Buddha also talked about the four elements in the body, which John uh, talked about a little in one of the instructions. I'll talk a little bit uh, about it more later. So to be mindful of this physical presence that we're associated with, means to let the body be imbued with your awareness. To let the awareness mingle with the sensations of body. So letting the awareness mingle first with the sensations of breath, with the posture that you find yourself in, with the energies that show themselves in the body, with the tiredness or restlessness that may come in the body. And then he says, one abides contemplating the body as the body, both internally, externally, as experience arises and vanishes. So contemplating the changing nature of physical phenomena as it shows itself to you even now. I mean, it's so... I think it's so fun that what we're talking about is happening as we're talking about it. This is not for later. It's right here. And so he says, contemplating the body as the body internally, externally, as experience arises and vanishes and not clinging to anything in the world. And in all through the sutta on mindfulness... This line keeps coming. He says, Pay attention, contemplate the body, contemplate the breath, contemplate the posture, contemplate the elements, and see that there is nothing to cling to. So, are you here in your body? When I say, are you in your body, I mean, are you completely filling your body? I want to know whether you are in your feet or you just have feet. Do you live in them or are they just things you use when you walk? Are you in your belly or do you just know vaguely that you have a belly? Or is it just for food? Are you really in your hands or do you move them from a distance? Are you present in your cells inhabiting and filling your body? It's from Hamid Ali. So feel your body. Now don't don't move for a second and just sense your body. Eyes open, eyes closed doesn't matter. And As you sense your body, just for a minute, let go of the idea of body or the thought of body and see what it's like to mingle the awareness with this experience. Letting go of all concept of body or even breath or even sensation and experience what's here another piece another aspect that I'd like to about or reflect on with you as we sit here mindfully contemplating the body is the compassion aspect which we want to continue to weave into each moment of practice <clears throat> So as we open to the direct experience of what's here and not clinging to anything in this world, we again come to this radical acceptance of just what's here. And often, maybe always at a retreat, at some point, you will experience physical discomfort, physical pain, hurt, ache, tired, burning, cold. We're totally vulnerable with this body to discomfort, to the truth of suffering. In case I haven't made it clear I think I said but the reason that I have this kind of odd uh, pseudo-Tibetan type uh, setup here is because I broke my knee about almost two months ago now and I'm right at the end of the or you know I'm somewhere in recovery here with my knee and uh, it's been quite an amazing experience one that I wouldn't wish on anybody Um, but it happened And um, I'm so grateful for this practice. I'm grateful that I knew how to practice with pain, how to practice with discomfort, how to practice with total limitation, not being able to move, or having very limited movement, or having all kinds of stuff going on in my knee. You know, I broke in about two places, the kneecap itself. And I I have to say, I had some really amazing meditations with my kneecap. And I took painkillers for maybe two or three days. But that was all. And mostly because I know how to be with pain. And so I want to talk about that specifically now for a few minutes. The most important thing to know about working with pain is to have a palette of of skillful means to work with physical pain. That there's not any one right way. That when physical pain comes, which it will, that we really want to be as open as possible to it and as skillful as possible with it. To be mindful of a difficult experience like pain uh, calls for a certain level of balance in the mind. And actually, if you're not balanced, um, it's skillful often to move away from the pain. So if pain comes and you start to feel it, you notice it, it's clearly becoming predominant in your experience, you allow that. And you can name it gently, pain, pain, pain and mingle let the awareness mingle itself with the sensations of pain just like we do with breath now pain is not as quite a neutral experience as the breath is so one of the things we want to be very mindful of is our reaction to the pain uh oh here it comes again that pain in my back my shoulder my knee my neck, whatever it might be. So there's the uh-oh. And you don't have to get rid of the uh-oh. We're actually, we're not trying to change anything. We're learning mindfulness. And the pain and the uh-oh are teaching us. And so we notice the pain, pain, uh-oh, aversion, aversion, and allow the aversion. Feel that, that movement away. The, and, and the tensing up against the pain now That's a very important place to pay attention to because often there's the pain and the secondary tension of our aversion. And that's a place where we have a little more um, leeway to play with because often when I will find the pain, I'll have the pain in my knee and the rest of my leg starts to contract against it. And I, can, I start to notice that and actually I can let that relax. I can't get away from the pain in my kneecap but I don't actually have to contract against it, which is a secondary kind of suffering. And so then I can notice relax, relax, uh, more pain, pain, and then I can start to maybe notice the more discreet experience. So pain falls away is a word, and I start to notice heat in my knee and more heat, and then pulling, twi- tearing, twisting, burning, vibration, um, itching. Uh, pinpricks, Uh, and then all the reactions to that. Oh, I don't like this. I want it to go away. How long is it going to stay is often one. Fear then might come. And I'm going through this a little quickly, but this can really come if there's enough balance of mind where you see it and allow it and feel it, and it just keeps changing because that's what things do. And then Sometimes it can be quite an amazing experience. I mean, often we think pain's really bad. Again, with, because I've had a lot of practice, and again, it's something that I have uh, just came somewhat easily for me in practice, doesn't come easily for everybody. Um, I had some amazing meditations with my knee after a few days. I'd sit with my knee and there'd be all this pain and vibration and I'd just stay there. And I, I knew how to do that from this practice. I'd stay in the knee and there'd be more vibration and then it'd, be, it'd start to get bigger and bigger and the awareness would kind of mingle with the sensation and then there'd be this space and openness and then there'd be no pain. There would just be this experience happening. And that's also possible. Now just like with emotional pain, it doesn't work if you do it to make the pain go away. Okay? And, this, and you, know, you'll all, all you, you know, you'll all find that out for yourself if, just by doing this practice. Actually, the first time I ever did this practice, I sat with a lot of pain in my knee, and I vowed just to sit still for one sitting. And I, I thought... It was about the fifth, sixth day of a retreat and people were settling in all around me and I I couldn't get it at all. And then I vowed to just sit still for one sitting. And and it was pretty amazing kind of what happened. I got very concentrated. The pain was excruciating. And I got really concentrated. And then uh, the bell rang and the pain went away. My knee went away. All kinds of things went away. It was very lovely. And there was this peace, freedom, openness, space. It's great. And I thought, oh, I know how to do it now. You just go and sit with the pain. I remember coming back to my second retreat, I thought, okay, I'm just going to sit with this pain in my knee, and I sat with it, and sat with it, and sat with it. Whew, I sat with a lot of pain. Nothing happened. <laughs> I had pain. <laughs> we're not trying to make anything happen, we're trying to learn how to be with things as they are. And we're letting these experiences that show themselves of the breath of the body, as we expand the instructions of the heart and mind, letting these experiences awaken us. We're not awakening them. A couple's more skillful means about pain itself. Um, You can play with it. Take 30 seconds and and let the awareness be right in the middle of the pain, and then pull back for 30 seconds. Find the edge of the pain, the place where it's actually okay to be. So if the pain's in the knee, pull back to the middle of the thigh or somewhere like that. Um, and And that'll help bring balance. So you spend even 10, 20 seconds with the pain, 20 seconds away from it, or right in the middle of the pain, and then 20 or 30 seconds of feeling the whole body posture actually can bring a lot of balance to working with pain. Feel one breath in the middle of painful sensations. Also a way to bring balance in the middle of something difficult, and really these are true for both uh, physical pain and emotional pain finding ways to bring balance to difficult experience so that we continue to be mindful of that experience. There's a lot of suffering around the body. The physical pain itself is one aspect. This is a little different, but I'm sure you'll all recognize it, which is the suffering around body image. Everybody here has experienced it. You know, they say that the fastest rising surgery these days is cosmetic surgery for men. Isn't that interesting? You know, people tend to assume it's women but actually the fastest growing surgeries are cosmetic surgeries for men. It's all about our body image and the suffering around it. Some of you, like some of us, may be too short or too tall or too this way or too this way or not enough of this stuff. You know? Or maybe too much. It's coming out all kinds of places. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, the, the little story I'd like to offer you about that for your reflection <laughs> <laughs> just, just remember this. Remember the time you had a really bad haircut. <laughs> Remember how that is? You come home and you look in the mirror and you think, Oh no, I'm going to be like this for a while now, (laughs) you know. If you're like me, you start trying to do something about it, it makes it worse. (laughs) There's also our attitude towards our body and ourselves. We can be really hard on ourselves, body image, also kind of pushing the body. And I'm, I'm definitely somebody who has to acknowledge this at times. I've actually learned how to not, not sit with so much pain. <laughs> it took me a long time in practice. I actually don't sit on the cushion much anymore because I always have pain. And I've learned to sit in a chair. And it's actually kind of great. I don't have much pain sitting in a chair. (laughs) But it took me about 15 or 16 years to learn that. Sometimes we really think we have to push our body very hard here in order to awaken. Anna Swir talks about it like this. She says, I say to my body, you carcass (laughs) I say you carcass crated nailed down deaf and blind like a padlock I should beat you till you scream (laughs) starve you for forty days hang you over the highest abyss of the world perhaps then a window in you would open on everything I feel exists on everything that is closed to me. I say to my body, you carcass. <laughs> you are afraid of pain and hunger. You are afraid of the abyss. You deaf-blind carcass, I say, and I spit at the mirror. <laughs> so, you, you realize this is not the attitude we're cultivating here. <laughs> You know, we we take the body for granted. I know I do. As long as it's working right, I kind of don't notice it or pay attention to it in a certain way. And then as soon as one hits the ice in San Francisco, which one wouldn't expect to be there, then we pay very strong attention And maybe that's a good thing because maybe that points us at the importance of practicing now in whatever shape our body's in before it gets really difficult. Lama Yeshe, who is a great Tibetan teacher, said this after he'd had a heart attack. He said, never have I known the experiences and sufferings which attended my stay in intensive care. Due to powerful medicines, unending injections, and oxygen tubes just to breathe, my mind was overcome with pain and confusion. I realized it is extremely difficult to maintain awareness without becoming confused during the stages of death. At its worst, 41 days after I became ill, the condition of my mind was such that I became the lord of a cemetery. My mind was like that of an anti-god and my speech like the barking of an old mad dog. As my ability to recite prayers and meditations degenerated, after many days I considered what to do. I did stabilizing meditation with strong mindfulness, and through great effort this was of much benefit. Great urgency in practice. Practice now. It's compassionate to practice now. Avalokiteshvara, who's the archetype of the embodiment of compassion, is often shown in the paintings or in the sculptures with a thousand arms. And it's said that she has a thousand eyes and hands to see and feel the suffering of the world. And one way they talk about those thousand eyes and hands is that the whole body becomes eyes and hands. And I believe that when we learn how to practice, when we learn how to come fully into the body, open to it fully, that that's what we're doing. We're creating a body that is open to suffering, to seeing suffering, that is open to the suffering of the world, that our tenderness comes forth, our vulnerability, our permeability. We, we're undefended in a certain way. That the body, the suffering just comes in and we can see it. We can feel the suffering of other human beings. And we don't have to defend against it. We can see it for what it is, the truth of suffering. And that suffering allows our spontaneous compassion to arise. When I was training as a therapist, I had a supervisor who was a kind of a wild guy. He said a very interesting thing once. We were, he was teaching me about couples counseling. And he said, I always make them really look at each other when they're angry, really look in their eyes. He said, the problem isn't that they're angry. It's that they don't see the bullets going in. He said, as soon as they actually see... The, the, the bullet going in and the blood come their compassion arises for the other person and so they can stop but it, but, and, you'll, and he said watch what happens and you'll see a lot of people they'll fight they won't even look at each other and they're saying the meanest things and they won't see how it's impacting the other person because if you see it you can't quite continue in the same way your compassion arises spontaneously So, another piece that I would like to point us to, that the Buddha points us to really, is the wisdom that arises in the mindful contemplation of the body. And so, a number of contemplations, I think about five of them, are all cemetery contemplations where he urges or encourages the monks and nuns to go out to the cemetery, the uh, charnel grounds in those days, and to contemplate the body. Remember, both internally and externally. So contemplating the bodies that are there to see what happens to the body. And we don't even have to go quite that far. I mean, we could just... Contemplate what happens to our body after 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Changes a bit, doesn't it? Have you noticed? Our aging, our illnesses, our mortality, contemplating that the body is mortal. It's a temporary expression of the truth. Ambapali. Ambapali was a famous courtesan at the time of the Buddha. It was said she was so beautiful that they fought, the princes fought over her so much that in order to resolve the conflict they made her the head courtesan of the city and gave her an exalted um, position. And um, she met the Buddha and became a disciple of the Buddha's. At first she was a lay disciple and she would host the Buddha and the uh, retinue of monks and nuns give her dana um, which the Buddha gratefully accepted which kind of points to the inclusiveness of the practice as he saw it um, and then later she uh, retired from her life as a courtesan and became a monastic disciple and she wrote this poem at the end of her life Ambapali means, they would call her the mango woman, she was like a ripe mango <laughs> She wrote, Once my hair was black, like the color of bees, alive, curly. Now it is dry like the bark fibers of hemp. I'm getting old. It's true. I tell you the truth. Covered with flowers, my head was fragrant as a perfume box. Now, because of old age, it smells like dog's fur. (laughs) My nose was like a delicate peak. Now it's a long pepper. (laughs) The scarecrow is telling the truth. My hands were gorgeous. They used to be, used to be gorgeous, covered with signet rings decorated with gold. Now they're like onions and radishes. This is true, I tell you. My breasts look great, round, swelling, close together, lofty now they hang down like waterless water bags. (laughs) My body used to be shiny as a sheet of gold, now it's covered with fine wrinkles. Both thighs, and this was once considered a compliment, look like elephants' tusks. Very interesting. I swear, I'm telling the truth, now they're like stalks of bamboo. I have to interject here. You know, part of what happens when you break your knee, you don't use your leg, your leg atrophies. I mean, in a really short time, I watched my leg go from, like, whatever it was to, you know, closer to this uh, stalk of bamboo. She said, I had the body of a queen. Now an old house, plaster falling off, sad but true. And um, one of these days, I'll get around to writing a male version of this, to <laughs> things that don't, don't work so well, as you get older and you're a man. <laughs> I think it's very important. I think it's good we can laugh about this. And I think it's very important to be very respectful of this also. These are our bodies we're talking about, and it's there's there's really something. It's something to have a body, and have it grow up and flourish, and then have it wither and age. When Jack Cornfield went to see his teacher Ajahn Chah after Ajahn Chah had had. Um, I think he'd had a, a stroke, and he'd had he'd been diabetic, and he'd been in a coma, and he'd been out of you know awareness for a while, and then come back. And Jack went to visit him when he was you know somewhat better, but still in the hospital. And Jack told me this story. He said he said he went in to see Ajahn Chah. He did his bows, and he saw him there. And he said, "Well, isn't this what you taught us? Impermanence, the body." And Ajahn Chah, he said, was quite fierce with him. He said, don't be glib. Don't be glib. This is my body. Doesn't mean he was not quite an awake fellow. He was. But he was really pointing us to the compassion that's needed and the kindness with these bodies as they age, as they deteriorate, and as they ultimately fade. I'm watching my 90-year-old dad, uh, who's doing pretty well, but every, every week or two or month or two, something else is not working so well. His hearing, or his eyesight, or his knee, or his elbow. And, it's, and I hear his frustration. And the, the pain of it, it's difficult. Mm. The Buddha said, In this fathom-long body, with its perceptions and inner sense, lies the world, the cause of the world, the cessation of the world, and the path that leads to freedom from the world. So often... This is heard, or we've given this teaching as, in this fathom-long body you will find suffering, the cause of suffering, freedom from suffering, and the path that leads from freedom. The piece that uh, I never saw before until I read the original text was about its perceptions and inner sense. That that's how we practice mindfulness of the body. With this inner sense that you can feel right now, even as you're perceiving both. And so the Buddha's pointing us to this is our practice place. This is the laboratory of mindfulness. That this body becomes a very sensitive tool to discover and experience suffering. It's really the crucible in which the alchemy of suffering takes place that we find suffering, the cause, and this great possibility for freedom or peace, as Sylvia was saying. And it's not in any abstract or intellectual experience. It's directly, it's immediately experiencing our not just the physical pain, but the pain of attachment itself. The dukkha of identification itself is also in the body. Joko Beck, who I think is a wonderful Zen teacher, talks about it this way. She says, Our very nature is enlightenment. Our very nature is enlightenment. What practice is about is seeing how this natural state of being gets blocked. (coughs) And she talks about the core beliefs, the core identifications and attachments of the self. And how we need to allow those to surface, to see them clearly. And I've already heard some people start to um, bring these into the interviews. Somebody comes in and says, oh, there's this level of anxiety I've never perceived before and it's always there. Really starting to see the self, that, the construct of it, in ways that maybe are so pervasive we don't notice them at all. Somebody else said, they, they came in they said, I realize I'm scanning for danger all the time. And they know there's no danger here. But this is the self. This is really the self. You know, it starts to get more and more subtle. Or the the sense of unworthiness of the self that starts to become very clear. Like, I feel like I'm doing it wrong even when I'm doing it right. Very pervasive, can be very subtle. It's like the templates through which we're perceiving reality This is really that level that she's pointing to here. She says, By sitting, minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, it builds the power or courage to move beyond the mental stuff to the more crucial step of returning to the bodily experience of these deep identifications and attachments. We return so we can experience directly, not in words, the quivering pain out of which our core beliefs are formed. She says, any sense of disease in the body, and we know we are picking up a trace of our core beliefs. We must abandon our mistaken trust in thinking as a path to freedom and turn in one direction only, to experience in our body the pain of those beliefs and attachments. We have to face the pain we've been running from. In fact, we have to learn to rest in it and let its searing power transform us. When we truly rest in this bodily sensation, there's a knowing, an exact resonating in the body. And finally, there's a spaciousness and peace in which we see ourselves And our whole world in a new light. So allowing the body to function in this way here. Keep coming back to it. Keep noticing how is your experience being expressed physically. Even emotional experience. Even mental experience, what's showing itself here? The last piece, oh, a poem. Before the last piece, again from Anna Swer. After she practiced for many years, she said, "My body, you are an animal, whose appropriate behavior is concentration." And discipline, an effort of an athlete, of a saint, of a yogi. Well-trained, you may become for me a gate through which I will leave myself and a gate through which I will enter myself. A plumb line to the center of the earth and a cosmic ship to Jupiter. My body splendid possibilities are open to us. The last piece I want to mention is really the piece about the elements of the body, the most fundamental experience of the body. That when we come to experience the body in a more de-concretized way, in a more de-reified way, in a more de-objectified way, we start to discover that there are these simple changing elements here. And so pay attention for a minute to your body in this way. Notice what element shows itself to you now as you pay attention. Do you notice the heaviness or hardness of the earth element? And then notice what that's like, forgetting even about the idea of earth, but just that direct experience of heav- heaviness or hardness. Or maybe you're warm or cold, and so there's the fire element the temperature. Or maybe you have a sense of the whole body and the, the cohesiveness of it is the actually the water element has this cohesive fluid quality. It's like you shut your eyes and there's just this simple energetic presence that's softly shifting. Or maybe you shut your eyes and there's just the air element, the breath itself, breathing you, not having to do a thing right now, moving beyond our mundane and habitual relationship with our body, and opening to this elemental nature that's present here right now. I always, I always think it's so funny when people say, I want to go out and be in nature as if we are separate from nature. That these elements, which we know scientifically is what's here, are what we are and what everything is in the world. This building is made of these elements. The computers are made of them. There's nothing that's not of these elements. Realizing the wisdom, the truth of non-separation is not an idea. It's what we are. We are not separate from anything. In this world, Susan Griffin put it this way she said, We know ourselves to be made of this earth. We know this earth is made from our bodies. For we see ourselves. We are nature. We are nature seeing nature. We are nature. With a concept of nature, nature weeping, nature speaking of nature to nature. Let's sit here, mindfully contemplating our bodies for a couple minutes.